I invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. There is no handout in the bulletin. I have a simple outline though. I'll make it very clear to you as we go through verses 1 through 4. Uh, As we look at uh, the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians this morning, we come humbly and expectantly to the text of Scripture. We know these are God's words, God's words to the Thessalonians, and they are for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And as we come, we want to thank God for the opportunity to read his words and to, to learn and to grow thereby. In the first four verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul thanks God for the Thessalonians. He sets the tone in verse 2. He says, we thank God. Uh, we give thanks to God always for you all, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Here's Paul thanks God for the Thessalonians. He is constantly doing so. He's continually bringing them to the Lord. Verses 1 through 4 are, is, uh, contain the first of three thanksgivings that you will find if you read through 1 Thessalonians 1 through 3. The first of three. This first Thanksgiving is about God's work in their conversion when they came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. The second one found in chapter 2, Paul is thankful about how the church received the preached word of God during his church plant visit. And then the third Thanksgiving is in chapter 3, where he thanks God for a report that Timothy gives him of their continued faithfulness after that church plant visit. So three Thanksgivings. As a matter of fact, some scholars that come to this text, they say chapters 1 through 3 are like one big Thanksgiving. Paul's just thankful, thankful, thankful. Within these chapters, he describes his constant Thanksgiving in glowing terms. He uses phrases like all the time, constantly. Without fail, when I go to God in prayer, I thank him for for you. Within these verses, we will see Paul's constant spirit of thankfulness for others in his prayer life. Before we look at them in detail, verses 1 through 4, have you ever prayed with someone before and immediately felt their close connection to God? I remember as a freshman in Bible college, uh, I was invited, actually the whole student body was invited to kind of a pre-prayer service before our opening Bible services. Now, I was a freshman. I thought most of the student body would go. I didn't realize that when I, when I decided to go, I would be the only student in the prayer time. And so I'm in this room, and I think I must, you know, must be wrong, must be wrong room. And then... Dr. Les Olala, the president of the school, one of my mentors, eventually became a mentor. At that time, a godly man I feared. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Olala and the speaker, elderly preacher, been in pastoral ministry for 50 years, his name is Ed Nelson, show up and they invite me to pray with them. As a freshman, my own prayer life was not very advanced at that point. I still had to fight the constant urge to start every prayer with, Lord, thank us for this food. You know, like, and then, oh, wait, 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 I did, we're not eating, I guess. So I remember when these two men prayed. I felt like a spiritual pygmy. I felt completely insufficient. 
and I knew that I needed to learn how to pray. Perhaps as you assess your prayer time today, you know that you need to learn how to pray. There's no better person to learn from than through the Apostle Paul, who through inspired inspiration of Scripture of the, of the Holy Spirit reflects upon the way he prayed for the Thessalonians. And so we'll learn from Paul in prayer school. Paul thanked God in prayer for three specific virtues in the church of Thessalonica. Thessalonica. And I want to look at the text this way. First, said simple outline, number one, Paul is thankful for their spiritual life. This was an assembly, a group of people who existed in God and in Christ. He's thankful for their spiritual life or their conversion. Look at verse one. Paul and Savanius and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. In this first verse, Paul informs the Thessalonians that the letter is coming from himself, a man by the name of Silvanus, which uh, in Acts, his name is typically Silas, same man, and Timothy. These men would not be shocking, wouldn't be a mystery to Thessalonians because I think these two men earlier in the year had been with Paul when he planted the church. So as he's writing this letter, he says this letter is coming from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And they, these men address the letter to the church. Now when, when you hear the word church, you have immediate things that come to your mind. Some people in here, when they hear the word church, they might think of a building, but that's actually wrong, Right? You don't come to church on a Sunday morning. You come to a building to gather as a church. Most people in our cultural setting today, though, when they hear the English word church, they have some idea of what a church is. They know it's some sort of religious group or gathering. But when Paul uses the word here, ecclesia, it just means a gathering, You are a gathering of people, and it can be used in both religious and non-religious sort of settings. So he has to go further than this in describing the audience to help you understand more. If he just says, Paul, Silvanus, and Silas to the gathering, you wouldn't know who they were. So he gives their physical and spiritual address. Their physical address is in the next phrase, the church of the Thessalonians. That's helpful. So now we know he's addressing a gathering of people in Thessalonica. Okay? But still it's not enough. You've got to go further. And so he gives their spiritual address. To the gathering of people in Thessalonica who are in God the Father. Okay, so they have a theological character to them. They're sourced in God. The God of the Old and New Testament. God. But yet, if you stop there, it says to the Thessalonians who are in God the Father, that would still not distinguish them from other gatherings in the city of Thessalonica. For instance, there were several synagogues there where Jewish people were worshiping God. So he gives a Christological, Christological identity. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, this Christological part accents them or separates them and distinguishes them from other groups any other group in the city. 
And so as we look at this, Paul is first thankful. I, in this first verse that he's going to mention is Thanksgiving. The very next verse, I think he's thankful for the fact that they exist in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we consider the physical and spiritual address of the Thessalonian believers, I pray that the world will never confuse us or any of our corporate gatherings or smaller corporate gatherings as some sort of non-Christian group, non-Christ-centered group. Sadly, I think many believers today function in ways in which they run the risk of being seen as something short than a man or a woman who is of Christ, a follower of his. And so I ask you, are people in this city aware of your spiritual identity? Do your neighbors know, do they know that you are not only in God, but that you are in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do your neighbors know that you are a Christ follower? Paul is thankful that this is an assembly that existed in God and in Christ. He's thankful for their genuine spiritual life, so he greets them. Grace to you and peace. Secondly, however, Paul demonstrates something, that he, something else that he's thankful for. So he's thankful for their spiritual life, that they exist in God and in Christ. Secondly, he's thankful for evidences of grace in their Christian lives, okay? So look with me at the middle of verse two, and we go into verse three, actually start in verse two. We give thanks to God always for you all. So he's gonna tell us exactly what he's thankful for. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, Knowing, brothers, loved by God that he has chosen you. So what Paul does here is he says, I'm thanking God constantly for you, and let me tell you how and why. Okay, How I'm thanking God is threefold. There are three participles in this text. They end in ing. The the third one in the ESV isn't translated that way, but I'll give it to you right now. Ready? So look in your Bible at the middle of verse 2. Constantly mentioning you. So how is Paul thankful? What, what is the manner of his thanksgiving that he pours to God? Constantly mentioning you in prayers. And remembering you before God and the Father. And recognizing something or knowing something about you. I know that you've been chosen by God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so within these verses, we get not only then the manner or the way that Paul goes about thanking God, these three ways. I'm constantly mentioning, I'm remembering, and I'm recognizing, but we, get, we start to get some of the reasons why he's thankful. Okay, and this is going to go through the rest of chapter one. Some of the reasons why he is thankful, and it starts, it starts in verse three when he says, remembering before God and our Father, or our God and Father, three things. Your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. Paul's thankful for the great Christian virtues that he is seeing being manifested in the assembly. We started to talk about these in the introduction to 1 Thessalonians last week. I want to drill down into them a bit more in these phrases. He first says in verse 3 there, your work of faith. 
Faith in this context includes the faith of the Thessalonian believers when they were converted. So as Paul goes to God constantly for the Thessalonians, he starts by saying, I am so thankful for your belief. There was a moment he went to the city and people did not believe in Jesus Christ. He's there for three weeks and God does a miracle. People begin to believe. So Paul says, I'm so thankful to God for your faith. Not necessarily only for your faith, but he says your work of faith. Each one of these three phrases, your work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope, I think involves an internal virtue, faith, love, and hope that bears visible results. Work, labor, and endurance. So this first one, Paul is thankful. Well, I take this phrase, work of faith, I take it this way. Paul is thankful that their Christian, genuine faith produced or inspired work. I think Paul's point here is similar to James, you know, James 2. Sometimes people say James is, you know, Paul in our opposition. I don't think they're in opposition. James 2, James says, faith works. If you have no work connected to your faith, it's dead. And so Paul is saying here, first of all, I'm thankful that your genuine faith in Jesus Christ produced. It's working. He then says, and also your labor of love. Remembering before God and our Father, your labor of love. We use the the expression labor of love often in our churches, don't we? When we think of labor of love, we think of some sort of like small little, you know, something or other someone did on behalf of another in the original here, though, this, this phrase, your labor of love, means something stronger than that. The word labor means toilsome work. When I studied it again this week, I've seen this word many times in the New Testament, but I drilled in and looked at it again. It's often used in context of manual physical labor. You know, back-breaking sort of stuff, as opposed to other areas of Christian service. So this labor is prompted by something internal that Paul's thankful for. He's he's thankful for the love the Thessalonians have. Now the context doesn't tell us if this love is for God or for other believers or both, maybe both. But when Paul thinks, thinks back to the Thessalonian believers and their conversion, he's thankful that God did something in them. He gave them love, genuine love and it is producing. It produces labor, physical, toilsome work. He then gives pride of place to the last phrase, and your steadfastness of hope. <coughs> your steadfastness of hope. And the hope is in our Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, we come to hope here. And in the Thessalonian epistles, Christian hope is bound up inseparably with the coming of the Lord. Hope, maybe you've heard this definition before, hope is the settled anticipation. 
to settled anticipations of believers concerning salvation and glory in heaven. But I agree with what one writer said about hope in the Thessalonian epistles. He said this, he said, it is clear that Paul is referring not merely to a general hope that the Thessalonians have in the person and work of Christ, but to their very specific hope in Christ's imminent return from heaven to bring about deliverance. See what the author's saying? So when you get the Thessalonian epistles, hope is always in the Lord, but it's not just like general hope in Jesus. Things are going bad for you, well, just, you, you got Jesus. Thessalonian epistles, it's hope, this author says, specific hope in Christ's imminent return from heaven to bring about deliverance. In so doing then, as we have that sort of hope that Jesus could come back at any moment, that we would see him face to face, it produces in us the ultimate level of Christian commitment. So what is that? Endurance. Steadfastness. The word endurance or steadfastness is, this is the definition I like because I want to cross the New Testament scriptures. It is an active constancy in the face of difficulty. Active constancy. Or as one man said, it is sustaining power. Sustaining power. According to Jewish thought in, in the Second Temple literature, among the writers of the Maccabee era, endurance was the possession of martyrs. Sustaining power. Act of constancy. So hope is the crowning virtue in this text because God produced hope in the soon return of Christ brings believers home to glory. It makes us steadfast even when earthly signs aren't good. As we apply this to our lives, you know, we, we live in a culture in which many of us are facing decline in some way or another. I think you can make the case that we are experiencing in some ways the decline of our nation. The moral values of our country are deteriorating. Differing ideas or sinful agendas are gaining strong emphasis and power in our culture. Men and women, if, if we lose hope in the return of the Lord, then we will not be faithful in our own cultural setting. In our world today, we are facing the decline of some strategic ministries. I've gone through this myself. Excruciatingly difficult on a human level. Some Bible colleges. Universities that God greatly used for a time. Closing, shutting down, numbers going down. We will not persevere, men and women, unless our hope is settled 
not on a particular ministry, but on the soon return of Jesus. Perhaps you face face to face with the decline of your own physical health. How can you face the loss of your health? You have cancer, which many in our assembly do. You've lost a limb, which some in our assembly have. How can you make it? You will not remain steadfast unless you realize that this light momentary affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory that will be ours when we see Christ. Perhaps you face the increasing pressure of alluring temptations. You feel strong seductions in private temptation, and you don't know how to make it through. You've fallen before, you feel enslaved, How will you make it? You must remember that at any moment the crowds could, the the clouds, sorry, crowds, the clouds could crack open and Jesus would return. That's how you make it. Maybe you're overwhelmed by family problems or difficulties, caring for elderly parents. training your children and watching them go, hopefully the right direction. Encouraging your spouse as he or she walks through difficult steps. Or caring for yourself when you're all alone as a widow or widower. How can we face these things? Men and women, the answer is this. We must become heavenly minded. We must start thinking about heavenly things because that's where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And women, the unseen world is not unreal. Yet most people, some believers, go through life without any practical sense of the unseen world or any practical, deliberative focus on the fact that Jesus might come home today, or come to see us today. So how can we survive the decline of our nations or our ministries or our health? How can we face temptation after temptation? How can we keep on going year in, year out, decade in, decade out? What do you do when no amount of youthful vitality or no amount of optimism, well-meaning optimism, or no amount of personal discipline can bring you sustaining power. You do this. You pray, God, give me hope. Stabilize my heart with confidence in the any moment appearance of Jesus. So, so as I look through this text, Paul is thankful He's not thankful for the new two-story auditorium in Thessalonica located right along the Via Ignatia. He's not thankful for their financial well-being and security as a church. He is thankful for the dynamic, supernatural life and growth that he sees in this church. Their faith, love, and hope was producing 
And so Paul says, I'm so thankful. I keep mentioning this over and over again to the Lord. That leads us to one last thing he's thankful for in verse 4. Finally, point 3. It's a simple outline. Point 1, he's thankful for their spiritual life. Point 2, he's thankful for evidences of grace in the Christian growth. And then number 3, Paul is thankful for God's choice. Verse 4. This was an assembly who was chosen by God. And so Paul says, I recognize that and I thank God for it. Look at verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. The third reason Paul thanks God for the Thessalonians is that they are loved and chosen by God. This in chapter 1, I believe, is the ultimate reason that Paul is thankful And the rest of the chapter, verses 5 through 10, that we'll cover tonight and then next Sunday morning, really just round out the fact that God chose them. The word chosen means to be selected. It was obvious to the Apostle Paul, as he looks back on those three weeks in Thessalonica, that God selected them. He shared the gospel with a lot of people. Many rejected, many Jews Some Jews believed many proselytes and leading women believed. And so as Paul looks back on that, he says, it is evident to me that God loved you and he chose you. As brothers who were loved by God, Paul knows that the Thessalonian story started in the heart of God. And so like Israel in the Old Testament, The Thessalonian believers were beloved and chosen for no merit of their own. They were the objects of God's determined favor and his deliberative choice. I just think of Paul as he writes this letter. Just how, I mean, when you read through this letter with me and we start going through, you're just going to see, man, he's just like exuding joy. That's why some people say first three chapters is one big thanksgiving. I think we, the other thing we need to keep in mind is I compare Thessalonians to all the other epistles that Paul wrote is not every city or town responded the same way. As, as Paul is writing this letter, he sits in Corinth. Painful Corinth. Remember we went through 1 Corinthians 6, sins, that they're major sins, there's immorality among them. They're arrogant, puffed up. You know, so you've got immorality, then you get the, another group who's just arrogant about it. You have divisions in the church. Some, some say, I like Paul, Apollos, Peter better. There are Christians suing each other. And so Paul writes, and he confronts them in 1 Corinthians. He writes a letter, and he says, okay, I'm, I'm going to take care of these, all of these problems you've got in Corinth. Okay, and I, that's why I'm writing this letter. I'm sending Timothy. He's going to confront you. My own example is a confrontation of that. And if that doesn't work, 1 Corinthians 4, what, what did Paul say he was going to do to Corinth with all your sins? If that doesn't work, I'm coming, and I'm going to bring a rod with me. 
So I think of like Paul's experience as the Thessalonian believers and the Corinthian believers. I think Paul would say, give me more Thessalonians. Not like this. Paul leaves Thessalonica, he goes to Berea, and he has a near-death experience there. I wonder if Paul would often say, you know what, God, the, the Berean thing, that was good. There were Jews who you know, nobly received the word, but I'd rather not go through the stoning again. Don't give me another Berea. Give me another Thessalonica. He goes to Athens all alone. He goes up on Mars Hill, and he begins ministering the gospel, Jesus Christ there. And, it, you know, it's, it's a near failure. Some people do believe in Jesus. I don't think, I don't imagine Paul saying, Lord, give me another Athens. I want another experience like that where I'm all alone and people are mocking me and like kicking stuff at me. He loves these believers and it's evident. As we close and we learn from Paul in the school of prayer, we must be thankful for evidences of God's grace and work in the lives of people that we love. Throughout the course of this week, I've had opportunities to interact with many of you. This morning even. This morning I was just asking people, what's God doing in your life? And over and over again, I heard He's doing this. He's teaching me this. And just a reminder, I can be so thankful as a pastor of Colonial Baptist Church. All of this is evidence of God's grace for us. Perhaps you're here today as a parent. I don't know how to pray for my kids. Things are going, you know, good times and bad times. I just encourage you to start writing down in your prayer journal, writing down things you could be thankful to God for your children regarding. If they've claimed faith in Jesus Christ, start there. I'm thankful that they are in Jesus Christ, that that's their testimony. Thank you, God. You didn't have to do that with my children. If you see any marks of spiritual growth in their lives, write it down and take it to God. And I'm so thankful for this work that has been produced out of their faith that you gave them. I'm so thankful for how my spouse is enduring the trial a testimony to the hope that you've produced in their lives. And thank God for his choice of them. This is how to pray for our families, our friends, and our coworkers. It's easy to be burdened down and consider the negatives. But men and women, let's bless God. He is at work. Let's thank him. Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes, and we'll do that right now. As I pray, are there ways you can, in your seat, thank God for evidences of grace in your life or your family or your friends? As I pray, I invite you to pray and thank God as well.
Lord, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for this reminder of the Apostle Paul. What a great example to us who thanked God always constantly mentioning the Thessalonians in his prayers. I'm thankful for the evidences of your goodness and your grace that are evident in our corporate assembly at Colonial Baptist Church. Many of my friends here, most if not all of my friends here, claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, claim that they are in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we praise you for that. You brought life to deadness. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were damned, heading for a place called hell under your judgment and wrath. We were deceived by our own flesh and Satan, but you performed a miracle. You gave us faith, enabled us to repent and turn from our sins and to trust Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. So God, I'm so thankful that I'm in a room where the predominant majority of people claim that you've done that for them. Thank you. And Father, I'm thankful for the work that I can see people doing in our assembly, for the the labor, for the long hours. I'm thankful for the endurance that I see from people going through battles with cancer. I'm thankful for the endurance I see from a man who's lost a limb. I'm thankful for the endurance that I see in families who wrestle and struggle through choices and challenges and caring for parents and children spouses. Thankful for the steadfastness that I see. This is your work. It's not our own. We can't stand in our own strength. And I'm thankful that in this assembly, I see that you've loved them in that you chose them. You selected them. Lord, we rejoice in that as well. We give you all the praise, honor, and glory. And we pray that you would allow us to remain steadfast under trial until we see Jesus face to face. And Lord, may it be soon. We pray. In Jesus' name, amen.